It's Wednesday, February 22nd, 2017, and you're listening to episode 433 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games on a little bit more. Morning time for this episode is 53 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. My name's Chad. Alrighty, straight into it. So, Brodor, we are recording this right now on Valentine's Day, and you had an interesting perspective. Well, so when we were when we were on the back channels on the forums planning this evening's episode, Chad had posted basically that, hey, I'm free. My wife and I don't do the Hallmark holidays. Um, and basically I responded was, I'm free as well, but I love Valentine's Day because it's the one day of the year where it's socially acceptable for me to pay for sex. Exactly. And I've always been pretty down on Valentine's Day for a variety of reasons. But chiefly, what you're doing is I'm going to buy you these lavish, expensive gifts. That I don't get you any other time of the year. Exactly. I'm going to get you flowers. I'm going to get you candies. I'm going to take you out to a nice dinner. And the expectation is, is you're going to bone me. (laughs) <laughs> and really, no, and it, no, Brodor, if you're, it's the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> just, We're talking about Valentine's Day, not International Women's Day. Yeah, no, no. The, 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 as a male, the expectation is you're going to bone her. We are going to bone. Okay. How about that? Okay, okay. <laughs> is that better? We are going to bone. Okay. But I just find it irritating because, as Chad just pointed out, you don't do it any other day of the year. And I have found in my experience, in my. I buy flowers all the time. Do you really? Yeah, I buy them for a variety of reasons. It could be that she she's feeling really down about something or she's really stressed out about something. Then I'll, you know, I'll stop by and get her some flowers or she might be commenting that, you know, it's the middle of winter, all the trees are don't have leaves and it's all over. I want something life you know, she, well, she alive say, and beautiful. Yeah, she right. well, she doesn't even say I want that. She just kind of, you know, comments like, "Oh, everything's just dead and cold, blah." And so I bring her some very bright pretty flowers and I make sure wait wait without the expectation of intercourse yeah I <laughs> see all right we <laughs> let me here's here's my brilliant perspective on all of this first of all I completely agree with you guys that I absolutely despise what we have come to colloquially mm. call the hallmark holidays yeah which are the holidays that seem to be predominantly propped up by guilt and consumerism. Mm -hmm. And if tomorrow society had its function radically interrupted, would probably be forgotten within a generation at most, if not within a matter of a couple years. Valentine's Day, Father's Day, Mm -hmm. Mother's Day, uh, you know, these kinds of holidays that are not pegged to any significant cultural or religious or, or whatever tradition that, once again, people largely only celebrate. And if you ask most people, Deep down, they want out of them. Right. You know, they, they want out of these. They houses. want out of sex. No, no, they <laughs> want out of sex. But I, I am completely with Chad in that Carl and I will typically buy each other maybe something very small in the Hallmark holidays. I'm talking like a box of candy. When I say a box of candy, mm. I don't mean gourmet chocolate. I mean like. Here's your Snickers bar. Honestly, yeah, it's about (laughs) on that level. Yeah, here's something. But where I try to keep it is more your class acting. It's it's, well, it's it's (laughs) I I know it's at random, right? So I mean, if you really want to make somebody feel like they're important, I mean, on Valentine's Day, everybody knows there's expectation, there's guilt, there's uncertainty of well, when he or she says, "Don't buy me a gift." Do they mean it, or is this a trap, or how are they going to feel? I solved that problem yeah. with an octopus. Wait, here's here's what really bothers me about it, is that there is a fluctuating value to the market. Your vagina has value. <laughs> and from year to Mine year... You, oh, they all do. If you have one, it's extremely valuable. <laughs> My point is, is that your vagina is valuable every day, not just on February 14th. And why is it today okay for me to put a monetary value on your vagina, but any other day of the year, I can't go to a prostitute and put a value on her (laughs) vagina legally. It's just not right. Right. Uh, Halloween. That one makes sense to me. Obnoxious kids who are too old to be trick or treating, Mm -hmm. who aren't wearing costumes come to my door and I pay them an extortion fee to not vandalize my house (laughs) or automobile. Uh That makes sense to me. And I'm happy I only have to do that one day a year. But with the vagina, the vagina always has value. Every day it has value. So why is today special? I don't, I don't get it. 
Well, that's not where I was going. But <laughs> that's. But, uh, I, I think we're. I feel like I was on a train that pulled into the wrong station. <laughs> yeah. so it, it's an interesting place to be. I, yeah. I'll get out. I'll look around a while. It, it's and, like you were trying to go to Minneapolis, and when the train stopped, instead everybody's speaking Polish. Have, <laughs> I'm like, when in Krakow, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, they've got good beer. Sure, why not? Yeah, you just kind of get off the train and roll with it and be mm-hmm. like, I don't know how this thing even crossed the Atlantic, but why not? Yeah. <laughs> Sure. I mean, what are you going to do? Freak out about it? Yeah. And But no, I, where I was going to go with it is, I mean, look, it's if you really value the person and you want to really, you know, I don't know, look, be a decent human being. Life isn't about stuff. All, right. Let me, we'll just put all of those disclaimers up front. You know, being a good person, having love. You are not your fucking khakis. You're not the content of your wall. Right. Yeah. Ha- having love and having respect and having loyalty this obviously all matters most but if you are going to use some kind of a gift to demonstrate to someone else that you value them like chat i found there's far more communicated when it's completely random when it's not Mm -hmm. any particular holiday it's just some random day of the year and i know she's struggling at work or maybe she's not maybe everything in the world is perfectly fine but I still have somebody drop off a bouquet of flowers at her work to make all the bitches she works with jealous. <laughs> well, right. And on Fair. the random day, it actually says more. If you do this on, you know, December the 12th, the vagina is more valuable than it is on February 14th. Some uh, when you, socioeconomic shit. Because, because today is the day of competition, Right. Where I'm trying to compete with the other with the other men's is to make sure that my lady feels the most valued, right? As you were just saying, right? You make the coworkers jealous, and I think you're absolutely right. That has a much much greater impact, you know, to what? the commodity's value if you, when done randomly. If you take care of your lady year round, you don't have to compete on Valentine's. I'm Day. I'm completely with Chad on this. That yeah, I think part of the problem is, and I could get on a huge tangent on this maybe a bonus episode or negative episode or something down the road. But if you are taking care of the person year round holidays, like Valentine's day don't mean anything. But the the problem is, I mean, it's in human nature that we court, we compete. And as part of that courtship and competition, we try to be our best selves physically, emotionally, socially, Mm -hmm. And then once we get in a stable relationship, we get comfortable and all that slides and you stop courting the person. You stop trying to really show them value and such. And I hate to use terms like win them, because I think on the one hand, that sends the wrong message that, I mean, if somebody's loyal to you, you shouldn't have to win them every day. But the attitude, I think, is important to say that, you know, I care enough about this person like I know if people are coming over and they're my friends or something, I'm going to at least make some half-ass attempt to clean up some messes or pick up around the house. Right? Cause I want to make a good impression. Why do I suddenly lose that when I'm comfortable in a romantic relationship? And so you keep that alive year round and Valentine's day suddenly doesn't matter. I, I was listening to the radio cause unfortunately my car doesn't have an MP3 player or aux port bluetooth nothing oh dude mine has a tape deck and i got that that thing that you plug into the tape deck See, and plug into my phone you can't do that on a yeah. cd player you can't do that on a cd player so i'm i'm stuck and the radio things never really work right you know right. the ones, nah, yeah, the ones that transmit radios because yeah they're such a weak signal mm-hmm. that they never really work right and so i was listening to the stupid ad for some jewelry company and and you know the guy that owns the jewelry company is like so what did he get you for last Valentine's Day? And she's like, oh, he got me this or that. And I don't even remember what it was. But it, it was, was the D. <laughs> it was, well, I mean, okay, I guess you keep running with that. But, I mean, it was some kind of a gift that struck me as fairly valuable and fairly thoughtful. The but D. it wasn't some $10,000 diamond and ruby ring. And, hmm. you know, he's like, you know, well, guys, you need to get this together and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no. You. <laughs> I mean, it's like no this this is what's wrong with if I so bought, much of our society if i bought dawn a ten thousand dollar ring she would be like what in the f- is wrong with you and I, I there might be hitting involved deservedly so yeah that that's like 
half a house down payment right there. Yeah. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I'm not... Look, I think all the Hallmark holidays are kind of dumb. I think all the consumer holidays are dumb. I think we have been caught in this trap of guilt that we put on ourselves. I mean, look, the companies out there may attempt to do it, but it only works because we allow it to happen. I mean, if tomorrow we all said we're just not going to celebrate this, it would die. You know, but we we allow this to perpetuate, and some people really are so materialistic that keep those expectations. But, you know, my challenge to anyone listening to this is if you're in a relationship or if you're single when you get in a relationship, assuming that's what you want for your life, then when that person every day, you know, figure out what it is that makes them feel important, that reminds them they're loved, whether that's compliments, whether that's kind gestures, acts of service, whether that's material gifts, whatever it is, and make that person feel loved and valued and court that person every day of every year for the rest of your life. And suddenly days like Valentine's Day, they just don't mean anything. They, they actually become really comical. They do. When you're, in a, when you're in a good place in your relationship. I was about to say when you're in a good relationship. That's kind of a false thing to say. Yeah, because it, relationships have ups and they have downs. Dawn and I have been in really terrible places. And we have been in really, really great places. And there's ups and downs. It's the ebb and flow of life. But Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And every relationship is going to go through bad periods, mm-hmm. maybe even lengthy bad periods. But, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you can win somebody and you can fight that fight every second of every day of your life. But I think that is a noble goal. And I think that is a great way to erase so many of the problems that occur in relationships. Because I mean, one thing that I have heard from conversation with and reading articles by and what all these people that are relationship therapists, they all say basically the same thing, which is the vast majority of really critical problems in relationships come from a failure to keep up all of the little things, all the daily sort of transactions. It's that by the time something big blows up, you're already so deep into the red from these nickel and dime Mm -hmm withdrawals taken from that relationship of all these little cut downs and nitpicks and naggings and mm-hmm. not prioritizing them and all these kinds of things. Just think back to the verse from the good book, go back to the things you did at first, you know, it's, it's that sort of thing. And strangely, this actually ties in really well to today's topic, which has nothing to do with romance. Thank God. But it, <laughs> it does tie in really well. Cause we were just talking about the ups and downs Mm-hmm. that people have and that relationships have. And Chad pitched something on the forums that the minute he pitched it, at first I was a little bit dismissive because it kind of sounded like... Because it's me. Well, no, no, not that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, no, no. We've no. been doing this for like, what, 12 years now? <laughs> it, it's not that. No, it's because you and John have always been big on... You know, I want to play a character who's flawed and right, right. beat the hell out of well, me. And, you know, John wants every one of his characters dumped in a lawnmower on the first game. And, you know, <laughs> I actually have to say something in defense of that, because somebody on the forums, we, we had done an episode about failure. And this actually does kind of tie into what we're talking about, going to be talking about at some point in this episode, going to be talking about here. We were uh, talking about failure and, and such. And I kind of went on a rant about how I, I hate it when people just they refuse failure and it's nothing but success, success, success. And if you give them any kind of even a whiff of a failure, they get upset. And that and me kind of talking about other things and like John and I kind of going back and forth on our characters and such. Somebody had said that, you know, you seem to have this obsession with failure. I was thinking about that. I'm like, I don't. My John does. He loves feeding his like you said, feet first into a lawnmower and then coming out the bits that are left over as character. But for me, I like a certain level of realism. So when you succeed 100% of the time, that's not realistic. And when you fail 100% of the time, that's not realistic. And then cutting it in the middle and doing both 50-50 is not realistic. There has to be an organic acceptance of failure and challenge and strife and there also has to be an organic acceptance of joy and victory and overcoming and winning as well i think there's also the matter of where i'm gonna give you guys some defense here is i think it's a matter of oiling the squeaky wheel Mm -hmm. because 
we don't have to get on here and say there should be more success in role playing <laughs> games. Yeah. That's not an issue. Now, if role playing games were depressing and if, constantly about failure, if the and, most popular role playing game in the world was not D and D, but like Paranoia or Lovecraft, the Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu. where it's just made to grind you into dust, then yeah, yes, we'd be on the opposite side of this. But, you guys have an obsession with success. What the hell's up with that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I think the reason that you guys talk about failure as much as you do is because of the fact that it seems to be underrepresented yeah. in many, I won't say all, but, you know, in many role-playing well, games. The tradition is, is D&D and a leveled, tiered progression. Yeah, and you, that progression is up. You succeed upward until yeah. you reach the right. final. And that's and, great. And I'm okay with up as long as there are many, as long as the trend is up, Mm -hmm. but there are many down beats along the way. That's what makes your character's story Mm -hmm. interesting. Sure. And in the same way, if session zero Mm -hmm. was something that was more common and better handled, that wouldn't be such a recurring theme on this show. You're talking about group template and setting expectations, Mm -hmm. knowing your group, all the stuff that you do in that pre first game get together, you know. But so the topic we want to talk about today, and, and at first when I read this, I thought this is where it was headed. But then I realized that you, you had some nuances I think it's important. Is I'm nuanced. <laughs> well, at least this post was. But, <laughs> I was drunk. <laughs> but you were talking about the importance of character flaws. Right. Now, people may say, well, wait a minute, we're right back into failing. Yeah. yeah. But that wasn't where you went with it. There was a, a point where you took it that, as I thought about, I thought was a wonderful thing that I don't believe is the same point. And I think if people hear this, yes, there's some overlap, but if they hear this as the exact same point, I think they've misunderstood what it is we're getting at. So Chad, do you want to explain what, what point struck you out of my five or six points? Okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, you, you had a broader thesis yes. there, yeah. which is that if you create a character Mm-hmm. that comes into the game and you have someone you want to use as an example yes. for this but if you create characters and you come into the game and the character we're not talking about they're not min max they're mm-hmm. not you know we're not talking mechanically right. we're not talking where i take skills and powers but i'm not taking any flaws no and we're, we're we this has nothing whatsoever to do with mechanics right. this has to do with the creation of a character the so, story the personality the background the personality yeah, yeah all that kind of stuff but if you create a character that has no intentionally designed flaws struggles or insufficiencies mm. that you have really created someone that will forever be on the outside of the story and on the outside of the party mm. assuming yes. there's good role playing in general when you started talking about this, my brain started turning on the simple sociological reasons yep. of why this is true and why... I'm seeing it happen in my current game. Yeah, right and I, I want you to talk about that mm-hmm. here in one sec. But I am prepared to go so far as to say that if you are not giving your characters some kind of problem... Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying design them around a central problem. and yeah. I, I, I'm not... So don't don't hear something I'm not saying. But what I am saying is that if your character is just perfectly self-actualized in mm-hmm. every way, has no social issues, yep. no no rockiness in their background, no bad habits, nothing, no problems whatsoever, then you are hurting your own role-playing experience, or at least might mm-hmm. be. And Chad, talk about your current player, and then I want to loop back to talk about what the sociology mm-hmm. that I see at work here. So... You know, before I get into this, it, this isn't a cell phone level rant. I'm not bashing my fellow player. She does great RP. She is very, very invested in the game. It's great. And her character's fine. She is she is very happy. As far as I can tell, she's very happy playing her character like this. And so this is just more of an observational thing. We're playing our Dresden game. And everybody around the table is playing these different characters. And they all have like some conflict and it's either conflict that didn't start out when they made the character, but, but they developed intensely over time or something like that. Like I'm, you know, I I have this bridge troll guy, you know, and, and he's the charming loser, you know, he can never succeed in life. And, you know, he has this curse and all this sort of stuff and he got killed, but he wasn't killed. And now this story arc is about us trying to rescue him. And I'm playing a new character. I'm playing his brother. 
And his brother is like the diametric opposite of him. He is very lucky, so to speak. Uh, he's not under a dark shadow all the time. He's not cursed. He rejected the whole changeling thing. From the Dresden perspective, he, uh, he has items of power. And he's, he's traveled the world. And he was in a relationship with a woman. He knew one of the other characters, Pat's character, who's like this semi-immortal, who is like a father figure to him. And Pat's character introduced him to this woman named Rhyme, and she was a magic user. And basically, Pat was like, okay, you guys need to go out and you need to travel the world because I observe things and you're, you're going to report back to me. I'm going to kind of fund you because he's really rich. Also, you two are perfect for each other because you, meaning Russ, my character, have some anger stuff going on. And Rhyme needs to be taken out, you know, so, you know, so she doesn't like become a flower and go into a library and spend the rest of her life in the library. And he's like, I know you two will love each other, so to speak. And so for 10 years, they traveled the world on these intellectual, supernatural, globe-trotting adventure where Russ gathered these artifacts of power and she you know, expanded her magical ability and she died. And Russ blames himself for the death. And he came back to St. Louis and him and his brother Ward never got along. All the supernatural community in St. Louis hates Russ because he rejected them. He was a changeling, and he instantaneously, as soon as he found out and was faced with a choice, he instantaneously rejected it and said, no, I will become human. And so they all know him, and they all hate him. And so he's got this heavy guilt on his heart. Because this is Dresden, Urban Fantasy, he's being haunted by his girlfriend at the same time. So he can never let it go, so to speak. And she's not letting him let it go. So, you know, there's there's like tragedy in there, right? Sounds to me like you need Geralt. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Just about if there was only a witcher in the in this yeah, world. Because there was a what a, a pesta or what did they call yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's a very specific kind of Yeah, it's a very yeah. specific kind of wraith that that is stuck in a moment of tragedy. Right. And she's holding me in that moment of tragedy. And and Russ is trying to do all these like heroic things and save his brother. And outwardly, he's trying to save his brother. Inwardly, He's doing it so he doesn't have to think about the pain. He actually doesn't care about his brother because he barely knows him. But he's doing the the right thing for the wrong reasons. But uh, anyway, so yeah, there, there's like all these levels of, of pain, but there's also levels of success and positiveness because Russ is very intellectual and he's been around. He's really powerful and he's very, I made him to be very charming Again, it's a facade that he's trying to hide, but he's also very charming, and, and he has, like, high reports. Dawn's character, she's a mage or witch. She has a father who is evil, broke all these laws of magic, and is being hunted by the White Council, I think it is. Evil, 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 totally evil dude who's now trying to get back in her life. And so there's, like, all kind of issues with that. Her conflict is that she is an ice queen, is that she does not deal with emotions because she was brought up to be this witch who is totally not like her father. So she, her entire life is spent with people telling her, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And now she is like, I, I don't want to be told what not to do anymore. I don't want to have this emotion locked down. Well, as she's emerging from this, she's discovering that Ward, my previous character, was absolutely head over heels, 100% gone in love with her. And she was totally ice queen about it. And it was part of his tragic thing is that he can never get ahead, right? He can never win no matter what he does, no matter how well, good he does. he's dead. But he's not. Okay. Now they're, they're rescuing him. Right, right. Yeah. So he's trapped. And in rescue, in trying to, to free Ward and help him and in her emerging from this sort of oppressive life and her father coming back in, she's learning that she is actually has feelings for Ward, but she's never been in love and she's repressed her feelings. She is like, I don't know how to deal with this thing. What, what thing? This thing. What thing? Emotion. I don't know how to deal with this. And so it's like really starting to put cracks in her character. Best character. She is a Knight of the Cross and she is trying to save every single last person in the city. Totally impossible. But she is trying to do it anyway, and it is crushing her character, turning her character into an alcoholic, and we are trying to, like, pull her out of that. Pat's character has, is being pulled in all these different directions. He is in love with Beth's character, 
and they have a relationship, but he is an emissary of power, and his emissary of power is an ancient female god who he is also in love with, and so his emotions are being pulled separately. He tries to be this person who is emotionally distant, but he has a soft spot for his friends, and he sees his friends cracking around him and he's trying to be there for each one but he's never dealing with himself if you think about all these characters and these dynamics dawn's character and russ ward's brother basically have made this pack of we are going to help each other free ward and we are going to destroy anything that gets in our way and our promise to each other is we will never talk to each other about our emotions and he made that specific deal with her and they shook on it, which is a terrible, terrible deal. That's exactly the opposite of what they need to do. You know, Sam, Beth's character, is in a relationship with Pat. She's trying to help Russ and Dawn's character. She's trying to save Ward. She's trying to save everybody else. There's these connections and bonds. And Pat's character is sort of the glue that is binding them all together. And making them sort of cohese together. And it's like this tragedy and victories, right? It's like we're helping each other. We're, we're keeping each other from falling over the edge into darkness while at the same time suffering these cracks and these pains and this really intense role playing. So everything is being, all these people are being brought together. And it's such good role playing. And then there's Wayne's wife, Sarah, and she's playing a former FBI agent who is now a detective and she runs a detective agency that helps missing and exploited children. And she's very successful at this and she helps all these kids and she feels really great about it. And she has this lover who was a changeling who was a winter elf changeling thing. And she convinced him not to become a changeling. And then they fell in love and they have this great relationship together and they're getting married and everything's so happy. And she gets to help these friends and who are on this great adventure and we're going to help our buddy Ward and it's going to be great. And she helps her buddy Ward and she has no conflict. She has no internal struggle and I am not criticizing her. This, this is not a criticism. Her play style is that she doesn't like losing. She doesn't like disadvantage. Again, that's not a criticism because in the times in the past when we've talked about failure and the advantages of failure and all that, we get a cavalcade of people on our forums who chime in and say, well, yeah, of course I hate failure. I play D&D. We swashbuckles. We do adventure. We win, man. That's And that's great at the end. We're always winning. And it's like, I get that. She is like one of those people. right? And we don't exclude her we totally embrace her. We bring her character into the role playing, bring her along on the adventures and she's a part of it and she's contributing and it's great and it's awesome. But notice the juxtaposition there is that all of our characters were all pieces of pottery that have been shattered by tragedy. And then we've been piecing ourselves back together with bits of each other to make something that's going to be and looking like it's going to be stronger than the, requisite pieces. So for example, she helps missing and exploited children. Yes. What kind, I mean, obviously she deals with tragedy mm -hmm. very regularly. Yes. What kind of reflection is that in her personality? All of that ugliness that she has to deal with on the day to day. None. How does that She's affect her the personality? Hero. Right. She's the hero saving the kids, which is, that's fantastic. As a person who has a kid, I wish there were more people like that in real life. Yeah. I've but, heard multiple <laughs> first responders say the same thing, which is when you go home at night, you cannot remember a face or name of a single person you've saved, but you remember everyone that you lost. Yeah. And, and she's never lost anyone. Yeah. And here's the point that mm -hmm. as I was sort of digesting that, that my brain kind of turned to, mm -hmm. it is the basic nature of any higher animal that has a social structure and this includes humans, that the social structure primarily exists because of the fact that the whole is stronger than the individuals. The sum is greater than its parts. One plus one equals three, right? Because of the fact that every individual has strengths and weaknesses, 
and you know things they're good at, things they're not so good at. Everybody has up and down times. You know, maybe today I'm in great health and good emotion, but tomorrow I'm physically ill or psychologically despondent or whatever the case may be. You know, we're good at different things. And as a result, when we come together as a social organization, you know, as, as, a, as a culture, as a herd, whatever you want to call us, we create a system by which we are able to assist each other. And that assistance comes from the nice puzzle piece sort of way that strengths and weaknesses play off of each other. Everyone has a place. Everyone has things they do. If tomorrow you gave me any problem in the world, you said just theoretically imagine this happened, I can tell you which people I would tap in what regard to get through that tragedy, right? To get through that problem. Mm -hmm. And we are built at the social level, at the neurological level, at the biological level, that we bond, that our emotions deepen as we help each other through those tragedies. I mean, we talk about, and when I say we here, I don't mean the podcast, I mean we as a society talk about how we are more interconnected than ever, yet we're also emotionally more alone. Mm. And one of the ways in which that seems to be true is that people that are on social media tend to have very shallow relationships with one another and a very misinformed perception of what life is actually like for their friends and the people around them. You really want to know who your friends and family are. And I know there's a lot of people that are already nodding at this because they've been there. Go through adversity. Mm -hmm. Have something go hideously wrong in your life. Be difficult to be around. And you will quickly find out who your friends are. You know, you will quickly find out who really cares. And the people that stick with you through that, the people that carry you through that, you come out of the other side of that with a much stronger bond than you would ever have if they simply didn't need you. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. It's great to have people that you can kick back with and socialize with. And you need them only insofar as being alone sucks. Mm -hmm. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. Yeah. That's cool. But you know those people, they're your acquaintances. Mm -hmm. They're not your friends. They're not your family. These are not the people that really, if tomorrow something happened to them, it would rip you up. You know what I mean? You may not be happy about it. But it's not going to rip you up. And so when you're looking at a role-playing game, keeping in mind that obviously Look, the game, these characters are all imagined in the minds of the players. Mm -hmm. The only people at the table are the players and well, the game master. But you know, the point being, these characters don't exist except insofar as we imagine them and relate to them. And so I think there is a real value in terms of bringing that alive to try and emulate those kinds of bonds. I mean, I'm going to take this back to mechanics just to make a point. I don't want to talk about mechanics because that's not what this, this right. particular episode's about. But I want to talk mechanics just to make a point, which is, for example, we've played with a lot of people, are playing with a lot of people, where the distinction of their role is very important to them. You know, if I'm playing the cleric, I don't want there to be three other healers in the party mm -hmm. because this is what I do. You know, I heal, you do damage, this guy does this, this guy does that, this girl does this, this girl does that. And this is how we all fit together, skills, role-playing, whatever it is, mechanically, non-mechanically. We talked about that, I believe, in the last episode where Julia didn't like how people were kind yeah. of cutting her out of certain things by either doubling up on skills or doing things that, to be blunt, they weren't very good at. <laughs> and, you know, that was, that was cutting her out of the equation. She was not forming those bonds with the character or with the narrative that she wanted to. And so this is why I thought mm -hmm. it was a great idea. And it's not the same as what we normally talk about with failure, because the point of this is not to describe balance or realism or anything like that. It's to emulate socialization and emotional bonds mm -hmm. that occur in real life in the context of the game. Yeah. Looking at Sarah's character mm -hmm. and looking at the relationships that you have in real life, 
is there a person in your life that is that way that just is always winning is always yeah, is me. always uh, <laughs> <laughs> pretends to be yeah, actually on the surface <laughs> yeah precisely and that's what and that's what i wonder is that i'm i'm going through my relationships mm-hmm. and trying to figure out is there a person in my life who is just always coming up aces yeah you know yeah. but then i also wonder in the grand scheme of things is it adversely impacting her involvement, you know, participation right. or her enjoyment of the game, not having the same layer yeah. of depth or tragedy to her background or it, what's going yeah. on currently? And if it's not, who cares? Who cares? So yeah. the next, the next exactly. question is, is it detracting from the experience of the other players at the table? There is a little bit of Dawn and I kind of not being upset and not being having the game detracted, but just we notice Mm -hmm. that it's like Sarah's playing a slightly different game than us. It's like we're in the same world. It's not that she's doing different things. She's doing all the stuff with us, but it's just like we have positive stuff and negative stuff and in-between stuff, and she has positive stuff. So it's impacting (laughs) the tone. Impact is too strong a word. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's just something that I will say, in my experience... And she shouldn't change at all. Right. You know, if she's having fun, we're having fun, it's fine. In my experience, speaking from my perspective, I have been in games where what we're talking about here with Sarah was descriptive of the group at large. That the characters, generally Mm -hmm. speaking, did not have any substantial need of each other. At once again, at the role-playing level, at least. Maybe they did mechanically, but not at the role-playing level. And I will say that those have been the least deep, the least memorable, the least mm. interesting of the role-playing games I've been in. And whether it detracted from their experience or not, it certainly detracted from mine. And, and I will stress, I'm not saying that, therefore, they need to change up what they're doing to appease yeah. me. But I am saying that maybe... I should either not be involved in those games or accept what I'm going to get out of them. Because maybe even alter your character to go not with the one person, but maybe do a tonal shift yeah. to, to kind of make everything a little bit more even. Because, again, we're not talking about mechanics here. We're not right, talking right. about game balance here. Cause, uh, yeah, because yeah, the problem is that if I don't have any adversity in my own character then those opportunities to explore that person's humanness or whatever it is they are is very limited. And my ability to create bonds with the other characters to have those deep revealing role play moments suddenly get taken away. On the other hand, though, if you're in a group of people who are playing, we gave the example of uh, pirate swashbucklers buckling swashes. Nobody gives a shit about your inner demons. We've got to fight the French. Yeah, and, and if that's what you're about, that's that's yeah. cool. You and, know? It, and if you come into that saying, well, I'm going to play this deeply. I'm Batman, pirate guy. And it's just like, you now are a problem. You are shifting the tone of the sure. game. Even though it's a better character. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you ask, like, how is it affecting the game? I, I can actually give an example of how the situation is affecting the game. We had to go to the bridge. W- Ward is a bridge troll. And Ward has been taken. And we have to rescue him. So we were going to use the bridge to reach out as a conduit to, to Ward because he's tied to his bridge, you know, in a very permanent sort of way. And Dawn was going out there. She's the magic user. Her name's Tara, Tara Greentree. She's this witch, and she's going to commune with the bridge. But my character, Russ, did something bad. Basically, we found out who the big bad was. And the big bad was pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. And we were kind of keeping it on the down low. We didn't want to shake things up. And uh, something happened with Russ involving Russ's girlfriend, dead girlfriend. Russ got really angry. And then he went to basically tell everybody the big bad's the big bad, which filtered back to the big bad. And as soon as he did it, he calls Pat character. and He's like, I did something really bad. I think we're going to have to accelerate our timetables because now... The big bad is going to come for us. It is my fault. I am very sorry, but I'm not really sorry at all. <laughs> and so it, it was, that was an interesting role-playing comment. But we had to divide up into two teams. It was Pat and Beth doing a thing, and it was Dawn doing the thing at the bridge. Dawn was going to go into her Zenu magic thing, so she needed to be protected. So 
I was going to protect her and Sarah's character was going to protect her. And as soon as the big bad sent the troops out to kill us, my crazy dead girlfriend pulls me into a magical space, a pocket dimension to keep me safe because I was about to do something stupid and get myself killed. And so I had to have this role-playing thing where I role-played out with her to let me back out. And my thing was, I cannot have another dead girl on my conscience. You died and it was my fault. I cannot have her die and it be my fault. And through the role-playing, Sarah noticed something. I was only talking about Dawn. I wasn't talking about her character, who was in just as much danger as she was. Because you don't possess the same connection. Right. Because and, and it wasn't me excluding her, but it's exactly that. I just did Russ and me playing Russ did not have that subconscious connection to Sin, Cynthia, uh, Sarah's character, as Russ did to Tara. And she was laughing about it. She was like, girl, you know, there's two of us and ha ha ha. And I take out my assault rifle and start drilling because she's a mundane. She's not magical. It was noticed, but it was cool. I believe. I hope. (laughs) That's a fascinating example. Mm -hmm. It really, really is. And I think that it illustrates the point perfectly Yeah, because you're right through all of the tragedy and adversity and great role playing. You had developed a relationship with one character that had Mm -hmm. life and depth that you did not possess with the other character. Right. That's very interesting. Yeah. And it was not a planned thing or a left-handed remark. It was just this, this is a very intense scene, right? I mean, your dead girlfriend and Tara's going to die and sin is also maybe going to be in danger. Maybe, but she always wins anyway. And so it's, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, and it, it, it was just in the emotion of the RP I was having with Wayne. It just, it just, that's how it just came out. So do you notice a difference in proactive contribution to those role-playing moments in the game from her? No, not to say that she doesn't role-play. She absolutely role-play. In fact, she's very, very invested in the game. And I like having Sarah as a player when I run games because of her level of engagement is always very high. And uh, it, it's always great. She's always doing something and wanting to do something. But that's her engagement. It, it's doing things. After the battle at the bridge, my Russ did something bad. Again, he got out of it and he was so emotionally... Yeah, it sounds like t- Russ is the guy we get rid of. Russ, yeah. Russ is, <laughs> is a problem yeah. because the whole th- his whole thing is that Rain, his girlfriend, it was balance. They balanced each other. Now she's gone. And in fact, now she's worse because she's a ghost that's doing something and we don't know what she's doing and Russ can't deal with it. And that's making things worse for him. And so he he comes back and he goes on this rampage and he does some stupid stuff and almost kills somebody who he shouldn't have killed or tried to kill and let this other guy get away because he was just raging. And there's this neat scene. It was on Pat and Beth's character come in because Sin called him. It's like, you got to get down here. We're getting screwed. They come down, and but it was all over by the time they got here. And Russ was basically destroying a park bench. Bad guys had escaped. He almost killed somebody. He took out the wrong guy. And it was all because his head was not in the game and he's going nuts. So now he's having a tantrum. Yeah, and he's having a tantrum. He's destroying a park bench. His item that prevented him from taking on injury is gone. It was being used. And there's all these reasons why it was being used for something else. And so he was hurting himself doing this. And when Pat's character, who's like this father figure, gets there, we have the scene where we don't speak. Pat's like, you know, I've seen you like this before. He's known Russ since he was a kid. Russ is 40 now. And he's having his thing. He sit, Russ is sitting there seething and he's like, I just go over, I start cleaning up his wounds and I don't say anything. And I'm just letting Russ work it out and calm down until there's some stuff. Wayne takes the spotlight to the other characters and blah, blah, blah. And then Pat and I have one or two words of a sidebar. What's going on? Spotlight comes back to our characters. And then we have this role play moment where Russ is just like, I really screwed up. I did the bad thing. And, you know, and, and we role played that out. I can't have that with Sin's character or with Sin. I don't see a way for me to role play something like that out with her. That's not a knock against her. 
she is having fun and I'm having fun with her character. Just there's, it's a different level. It's a different thing that that's going on. Let me give you a reason why it just needs a hug. No, because <laughs> well, he needs a hug. <laughs> no, he needs. He needs, a, he needs a stern talking to. No, yes. dude, seriously, <laughs> you're our friend. What the? F- yeah, no, he needs Geralt of Rivia. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, and I'm right too. And after and after Geralt of Rivia, then we can just pick a therapist. But the, no, I was going to say that I there's a reason that it took me a while to come around mm. to this. In my own role playing history. Now, this was years back, but we had, I mean, we had some problems in our, our mm-hmm. early role playing. I mean, we've said it many times over fear the boot is a monument to our failures, oh, not the to maps. Our, not to I our, love the maps. No, I'm, I'm not going back that far. <laughs> but the problem was that if you had any kind of a weakness in your character, mm-hmm. the game master or game masters, there's one in particular that would do this, but I, I think really everyone that was game master at the time, myself included, was kind of prone to this, would immediately hone in on that and say, well, then this is where I'm going to strike. Yeah. You know, if you've got some kind of a, a rocky family relationship, well, then that's where the plot has to go. I'm going to use that to twist the knife on you. You know, And so it became mm-hmm. this, this vulnerability in the player-to-GM relationship that I think created a lot of mistrust to where I felt my characters all had to be very well-rounded mechanically and in terms of, of their role-playing, their personality and such, so they didn't have these vulnerabilities. And so my advice to game masters would be play very carefully mm-hmm. with these things. In fact, let me tell you a, a shocking truth here, which is not everything on the table has to be touched by your hands absolutely there are some vulnerabilities there are some strengths there are some traits of characters that really work best either when handled by the player or when handled in role playing between players and they do not have to be yours to monkey with now i understand that that is kind of part of role playing is that if you put something in a character that the gm might tinker with it and that that's part of a role-playing game but what i am saying is game masters exercise some self-restraint mm-hmm. because if you want your players to engage in this kind of thing well then you can't constantly every time they let their yeah. guard down jab them in the mouth and then expect them to never let their guard down and and that's the great thing about wayne running the game is that we really really trust wayne to not wield our weaknesses like the sword of damocles yeah above us but wayne and i can say this because he's not sitting here although i would say it to his face wayne is a savant game master he is a genius game master right because he does take these weaknesses and the positive things and the victories and such and he wields them perfectly that's why wayne's a ginger he sold his soul for game mastery he did (laughs) this this, so this, this thing empty husk of a, of, a, <laughs> of a biological human he has a great game mastering knack mm-hmm. and he has a fiddle from georgia i know right <laughs> so we're on the bridge right and this big battle rages on and everybody does all this heroic stuff and all this crazy stuff and dawn's character tara finally breaks through the veil and reaches out and and is able to contact ward the first time we are able to verify that Ward is alive and we can communicate with him and he's trapped and we are going to save him. And Wayne plays a chip on her tagging one of her aspects where she's like emotionally distant or the ice queen or something like that, where it's here, it's finally here and all the emotion wells up on you and you're looking at Ward and he's like, like that because Wayne is playing Ward, not me. And you can't say anything. She doesn't have any, she takes the chip because she knows she's going to need it because there's this battle still raging on. And she's just like, uh, uh, spotlight shifts, does something about shifts back to Dawn. And Wayne's like, you feel like you're losing it and disconnecting. You can say something. And she grabs Ward, gives him a kiss and says, we will find you and save you. Wayne passes me a note that says, I want you to break her heart. 
<laughs> as it disconnects, I take over Ward. I say, Ward, as Ward is fading out, he grabs your shoulder and says, I'm sorry, this is all my fault. Boom, gone. <laughs> I thought Dawn was going to cry at the table. It, there, it was like everybody was missy, like, oh, shit. And it was like watching the Grinch backwards. Wayne's heart <laughs> shrunk three sizes. <laughs> right. It was so tragic and so beautiful. And after the game we're talking about, Wayne was like, I knew I, I would never be able to think of the most powerful thing that I could say because that was a really dramatic point for those two characters. And Ward isn't Wayne's character. So he's like, he shot it to me real quick and he knew I would be a bastard and do it. (laughs) So yeah, I I mean, he is the maestro. It is amazing. And then that scene codified Tara to it's on all the little rules and stuff that were in place, all the little things that were holding me back gone. And now he ended the game because all this stuff happens, all this stuff happens, all this stuff happens into the night. Wayne leaves us with a cliffhanger. Tara walks into her house and there's her father. Boom. Scene. See you next week. It's like. Because everything's on the table now. Everything. Every. And that was the scene right before that. Russ and Tara made the agreement of we're going to destroy everything in our way to save a ward. And we refuse to talk about our emotions. emotions. Be damned. Rules yep. be damned. Yeah. It is all on the table now. And she walks in and boop. <laughs> it's like, oh, Wayne, you son of a bitch. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that's where we're going to close this one out. Let me stress once again that this is not a bad, wrong, fun thing. No, absolutely the, not. The, the, Sarah's having fun. Yeah. And we're having fun with her. This is it's just great. It, Keep on keeping on. If you have never thought about why there ought to be Mm -hmm. problems with your character, non-mechanical problems with your character, I hope this has been some food for thought. Uh, One quick announcement I forgot from Uh, the start of the show that we'll give now, which is Fear of the Content is still coming up uh, in late June. It's, I think, 22nd, 23rd, and 24th or something thereabouts. I'll link to that in the show notes. And they are looking for GMs to get out there and start putting up games. So hopefully by the time this show drops, I'll have at least one up there. I've got several ideas in mind of what I might run. I might run the uh, Jimmy Hoffa Elvis <laughs> game. I'm telling you, I want to play the king. I, 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 I said, <laughs> oh man, I gotta have a have a slot reserved. <laughs> I've noticed that I've had a couple ideas of what. Like I said, you can have multiple kings. You could have young Elvis. Yeah. You could have Vegas Elvis. Oh yeah. <laughs> And you then, have Kung Fu Elvis. And then the secret Dave Arneson Elvis. <laughs> That's right. So, I don't know what I'm going to run yet. I've had a few ideas. But anyway, get out there. Get some games set up if you want to run them. And as always, have a great week and great games. And we will catch you guys next time. See you. Wayne, you're still a bastard. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.